Why don't we just pray? Holy Spirit, we honor you here. We acknowledge your presence. Come and have your way. Come and have your way this morning. God, wherever this goes, once you go before it, Lord, just to have your way to awaken a nation, to awaken a people, to just come back to glorify you, to back to worshiping and honoring you, back to making you the main thing. I pray this morning, Lord, whatever I say that's not from you, make it fall to the ground. God, but whatever you want to say here this morning, Lord, set it ablaze in our hearts. Set us on fire to see the things of you. Set us on fire, God, to do the things that you want us to do. We love you. We honor you in this place. Amen. I'm in trouble here. We're already crying. We're only 30 seconds in. We could, uh, this could be a long time. Bear with me. Bear with me. I, our sister during worship, we, Jess and I have had a massive week and a massive weekend. I'm very excited to lay down on my couch this afternoon and, and uh, have some Zeds. But I woke up this morning and I was so excited to come and worship. I was so overjoyed. And I just, while we're worshiping, I, I just, I wanted to thank you guys. Because this is a community of people that I really feel so treasured to be a part of. And I feel so honored to be able to come and to stand here and do that. I know we can do that at home and that's great. And we worship at home. And I worship in here in a big open space, often on my own. But there's something special, and I've said it time in and time out, about what we just did there. There's this, this camaraderie, this, this brotherhood without sisterhood. Feel a bit of sisterhood in there. There's this family dynamic that allows this worship to just be so powerful. And just standing there this morning, I could just feel the 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 joy in God's heart and the and the delight to see his people willing to come and just worship and honor him. So I want to thank you that I get to be a part of that. Thank you guys. It's it truly is honoring for me to get to be a part of that. Last week I spoke about Job and I brought quite a challenging message and if you haven't heard it and you would like to be challenged you can go listen to it. Um, If not then you can not listen to it as well. But I want to carry that on this morning. I want to take us into something that I think we pick up from the back end of Job and and it's, it's brought us to a place where we need to understand as a people how to rest and how to be okay being in the presence of God. During the week, we had a prayer meeting and about two hours or three hours before the prayer meeting, I was in the office and I came down to make a coffee and I made a delicious brown drink. And as I was standing at the, um, looking out over the car park, just having my first couple of sips of my coffee, I heard this obnoxious bang and the coffee machine died. And I was like, oh, how do we continue? How are we going to ever continue? We made a phone call. Coffee man came. He said, I can be there just before six that night. So I said, all right, come, come, come and fix it. The people need coffee. So he comes, he fixes it. But the guys came in to start prayer at the prayer meeting. And Jess, I was at the back with the coffee fixing man. And Jess said to me, I'm just going to go and start the prayer meeting. I said, yeah, yeah, go. I, this guy kept saying to me, oh, it's just five more minutes. It's just five more minutes. It was about 25 five more minutes. But I was in the back and I was talking with him and just, just chatting with him and you know, asking him about his family and just, he was just talking. And it, was, it had been a busy day and I came in and the guys were just sitting here and there was nothing fancy about the prayer meeting. Nothing. The guys were sitting on the floor just praying. But the moment I walked in, there was this instant peace, like a beautiful, tangible peace that I walked in. And I just sat there and I thought, Flip, I don't even want to pray. It's just this, this amazing comfort that, that God is who he says he is. That God is doing what he said he was going to do. That we have been through in the past years much, much worse challenges than we're in right now. 
the challenge to us always seems like the biggest because it's ours. Right? It's like when you're at home and you're like, oh, man, my life's so hard. And then you hear someone else speak. And you're like, oh, that is hard. But what I'm going through is harder. Yeah, because it's yours. It's always your perspective that your challenge is bigger than everybody else's. But God has carried his people through much, much worse. Now, I can go through those things, the Babylonian exile, you know, ruler after ruler after ruler, the Holocaust. I mean, we, we can keep naming these atrocities that God's still been bigger through. So I know this to be sure, to be sure, that God is bigger than the place we're in at the moment. But I want to I take a bit of time just explaining what Job, what happened to Job at the end, because I explained last week that Job was wrestling with an enemy. He was wrestling with a, a, uh, a spirit. He was wrestling with a challenge, and he names the challenge. And hopefully in, in weeks to come, I'm going to break down who that was if you want to go and... Um, thanks, Josh. If you want to go and work out what that... Uh, what that creature is that he's wrestling, you can. I want to start to unpack it. But for now, I just want us to take away what Job gets. But Job wrestles this whole book with pride, with himself, wrestling on, should this be happening to me? Why? The righteous one, oh Job, is this happening to me? And he gets to this place at the end of the story where he realizes God takes him on a journey and says, God, says, Job, this is who I am. This is who I am. And Job realizes, God, I will worship you like we sang this morning, the breath in my lungs is all I need to worship you. That's a lovely song. We all just sung it. I saw you. I saw those words come out of your mouth. It's your breath in my lungs. So I'll pour out my praise. That's a beautiful song to sing when everything looks hunky-dory, when everything's dandy. It's a difficult song to sing when you're on the position Job was in. But Job comes to that conclusion. It's your breath, God, in my lungs. And I've still got it. So while I've still got breath, I will sing. So that was the challenge that I brought last week in a nutshell. But I want to I wanna go on to the next thing that happens for Job. Job realizes, I can worship him in this. I can worship him through this challenging time. It's not about me. It was never about me. It was always about him. And he gets to this position, if you've got a Bible, in Job 42. Job 42 says this, Then Job answered the Lord, and he said this, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and make it known to me. I had heart, sorry, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job comes to the realization that God, I did not understand fully who you were. I thought I did. I thought I knew who you were, Jesus. I thought I knew, God, the, the creator, who you were. But now that I stand where I stand, I know that I didn't really know who you were. I didn't really know. I didn't understand the things that you had created, the things that you had done. I didn't really know who you were. As I was reading this during the week, I, I came to this position where I thought, Flip, how much of this is the church today? have heard all the things they know all the Bible verses. They can rattle line after line after line. But Jesus says, do you really know who I am? Do you really know what I can do? Do you really know what it is? During the week, Jess and I were, were speaking through something we were, we were working through. And I said, I said to Jess, I, I'm struggling to see God's way in this. 
But I said, but I'm challenged because the Bible tells me not to stress about anything. So if I'm going to believe this when things are okay, I have to believe this when things are not okay. Because that's what Job's saying. God, I heard you with my ears, but I couldn't see you with my eyes. See, the beauty about, us, about the, the scriptures is that it's not a storybook. It's not, a, it's not a story that we pass down from generation to generation. It wasn't like the pagans did where we knew of this, this great God who lived up in the clouds and who thousands and hundreds of years ago did this thing. The Bible becomes a living, breathing word in our life that it's not a storybook. It's the reality on which we stand. It's our life by which we live. So I'm challenged when I hear this because Job, in the position that he was in, had every chance to say, God, this is not fair to me. I'm the good one. I'm the righteous one. But yet Job comes to the place where he says, I despised myself. I despised myself for the way that I thought. I despised myself when I was, look at me, look at me, the righteous man Job. When I lived in that place, I despised who I was. Yet God, I've come to understand that you are bigger than I thought. And I didn't quite understand that then, but I understand it now. And I'll worship you from that place. When you squeeze an orange, if orange juice doesn't come out, you don't have an orange in your hand. I don't care how well you tell me you're holding an orange. If you squeeze an orange and orange juice doesn't come out, it's not an orange you're holding. When we get squeezed as Christians, when we get squeezed as followers of God, when we get put in a difficult uh, position and someone says to you, hey bro, I want to just read this passage for you. And you go, ah, don't, I don't have time for that. Hey, you just got to love that guy in the midst of this. Love him? Do you know what he did to me? Do you know what he did to me? I'm not going to love him now. So then six weeks ago when you said, we just got to love everyone. Was that really in you? Was that really who you were? And now you're being squeezed. It's not love that comes out. This is the challenge that we get ourselves in. This is the challenge that we see Often when challenge comes, we want to get on our knees and say, God, take the challenge away from me. And God goes, I will. I will when you learn what you need to learn from this. I will when you learn what you need to learn from this. Does God send us the pain and the torment of these things? No, I don't believe so. Did he send Satan to Job? No. But he did remove his hand to allow Satan to have a moment in Job's life. You see, if we were to live a life where there was absolutely no challenge, where there was absolutely no, no walls put up in front of us, we would be spoilt brats. Think about children. When a child gets everything he ever wants, he never has to understand or work for something. He gets everything he wants. He grows up with this attitude that I'm the best in the world and, I'm, and I get and I, I'll have and this will be mine. So God leaves the challenge in our life so that we grow and we're stretched into a place that we don't want to be in. Challenge is hard. It's difficult. I've said this time and time again, going to the gym is awful. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus, Edith. It's not fun. I've started going four times a week and not one of them is fun. But I feel tremendous. When I finish, when I finish the week and I've done it every day and I've been diligent and I've, and I've, I've, I've done it, I feel great. I don't enjoy it. Would I rather go and play golf or go and lift weights? I know which one I'm going to play every time. It's not a question for me. It's never weights. But I feel good because the retention, when I, when I lift a weight, the retention, the difficulty actually stretches my muscles and causes growth, causes me to be in a different place, causes me to have bigger guns than the day before. <laughs> that, 
that's why there's challenge in our life. That's why God allows there to be difficult places that we walk through because it pulls us into more of a challenge. If I'm here in 10 years, I've done something extraordinarily wrong. If I'm in the same place now that I am in 10 years, I've done something terribly wrong. I have to be growing. I have to be stretching. But in order for that to happen, there has to be challenge. There has to be something that comes against me. God uses the challenge to bring you into increase. He uses the challenge to bring you into more. So when someone comes up and against you and says, I don't think you're doing this right, deep down inside of me, there's this little, yes, yes, I'm doing something right. You've told me I'm not, but I can feel deep inside I'm doing something right. Why? Because there's a challenge in my life and God's pulling me into increase. He's pulling me into something more. How do I know this? Because you read on in Job 42, it says this, uh, 42 verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all whom had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job, then his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapak. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons, and his son's sons, four generations, and Job died an old man and full of days. Challenge reveals the pride, but when we come through the challenge in a godly manner, we come into increase. God gave back Job everything that was lost, plus some. He restored twice what Job had. He gave back more than the enemy took from him. In the challenge, when Job realized you are who you said you are, God gave him back twice what he had. This shows me two things, that everything the enemy takes, God's going to restore twofold. But I only come into that place of restoration when I come to the end of myself. That Job realized, God, I despise who I am in my pride. Still, in my mouth, in my lungs, is your worship. And I'll give that to you. You see, Job's eyes was never on the increase that he was going to get. He didn't even realize he was going to come into a double portion of increase. That's not why he shifted his life to worship God. See, what we've done as well in the Western church, if we said, you want a double portion, I'll show you how to get it. So our eyes go onto the double portion and we... That's what we want. We want the increase because that'll make me feel better. But that's the pride that Job came out of in order to come in to the place of increase. See, when we let go of ourselves and who we are, God says, okay, now you're ready for me to give you more because I know it's not about the more, it's always about me. God can't give you more in your life if he can't even see you worshiping him in the little you have. Because he knows the moment he gives you more, it's going to become about the more. It's never, ever meant to be about that. But God gives us into a position, into increase and into restoration. Job came into increase at the end of himself, through the challenge, through the hard time. So if you're in a hard time right now, if you're in a challenged position, rejoice rejoice the little you have left give it to God the little you have left give it to God how do I do that how do I do that I'll show you Jesus showed us in the most amazing way 
turn to your Bible forward a few chapters, uh, forward a few books to John. I can't fix it. Chapters, verses, books. <laughs> Cat got up because I get it around the wrong way, but I don't know how to fix it just now, so I'll have to do a lesson. John 13, 3, 2, 20. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> so good. That would have been me. Wash everything. I see what's happening here. I want everything. Jesus said to him, the one who is, has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is, is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was, who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, has washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, chosen but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and has lifted his heel against me, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me, the one who sent me. Know this, Jesus washed Judas's feet knowing that he was going to betray him. Jesus washed the feet of the man that was going to send him to absolute extraordinary pain and suffering. And yet Jesus got on his hands and knees with a bowl of water and washed his feet. That, friends, is servant leadership. That is the life of humility and not pride. That is to say, Judas, just imagine that sitting there for a moment, Jesus knowing everything, washing his feet, looking into his eyes, Jesus thinking, I still love you. I still love you. I know you're going to hurt me. I know that you're going you're gonna to fail this thing and you're going to be led by pride, but I still love you as he's washing his feet. I'm sure there's all, we all have somebody in our life that we think, I will not be washing that person's feet. Lord, I love you. I love you, but please, please don't let me wash his feet. You see, because we get caught in this place where, but that person deserves this. They deserve to not have this. They deserve that. But it's the pride that we ca get caught up in. So how do we do what Job did? How do we enter into this place where God can pull us into a double portion? We learn how to wash the feet of those around us. And it's real easy to maintain that level of, of humility when things are going well, when that person's being nice, when that person's being a good person. It's when they're not being a good person that it's hard to wash that guy's feet, that gal's feet. When my wife is angry and cranky at me, it's hard to love her and posture myself like that to do nice things for her when I feel like, well, I, I should be justified in the fact I shouldn't have to make her a cup of tea or coffee right now. I didn't get a cup of coffee yesterday when I was in bed. See, we, we self-justify all the time. We, we, we come up with reasons why I shouldn't have to do the very thing God's asking us to do. But he says, my people, learn 
learn how to live in a place of humility. Learn how to, how to come to the end of yourself and I'll bring you into everything. I'll bring you into a double portion like you've never seen before. Because I know that if I can break the pride off you when you come into the double portion, it never becomes about that. That if you get it and I take it away and you get it again and I take it away, nothing changes, Lord. It's your breath in my lungs. So whether I've got it or I don't, I've got, I've got breath in my lungs that I will worship you and I will glorify you. The start of this verse says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back from God. That's how the verse starts. Jesus, knowing exactly who he was in Christ, sorry, knowing exactly who he was in the Father, was able to wash the feet of those around him. The precursor to ultimate sacrifice, the precursor to washing the feet of your enemies is knowing who God says you are. Because then I don't have to impress Matt. I don't have to look well to do for Matt because I know who I am. So when people look at me and go, bro, why are you washing this guy's feet? He was a monster to you. Why are you, why are you giving him validation when he was so awful? Because I know who I am. And I know how much he's hurting because I've been where he is. I've seen the place that he's in. So I'm going to go to my feet and wash his feet. Why? Because, because I know that God loves me and loves him, but he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. So I'm going to try and show him what I know by doing something that's out of this world for him. And you know, it's funny because like we see in this verse, I'm just trying to remember which, which disciple it is. Um, Simon Peter. Is it Simon Peter? He says, no, not me. Don't wash me. You can't wash me. Pride. You can't wash me. You, Jesus. I can and I will. That's what he says. I can and I will. See, when someone tries to give us something, when someone tries to do something for us, our first response is, no, no, you shouldn't do that but I know who I am and I know where I'm going and I know what I've been given, therefore I'm going to give to you. That's where we have to get to. Oh, snap. Hey? That's where we have to get to. When God, when we know truly who we are, when God squeezes us and orange juice comes out, when we know, God, I know who you said I am, helping everybody else around me doesn't mean a thing. Why? Because I know who my father is. Yes, I will drive out of my way to come and get you. Do I want to? No, but I know who my father is. And I know where he's called me. And I want to help you. I want to do whatever it is I can to bring you into a place. Jesus knew who he was. He didn't need to think about himself because he knew the Father was thinking about him. See, when we know that God thinks about us and he gives us everything, I don't have to do it for myself. When I know God's going to bring me into everything, I don't have to do it myself. So I don't have to think, oh, is Ben going to get enough cake at the party? Is Ben going to get a slice? See, because I've I, I, I got to make sure I get something. But I know God is giving me everything that I need and He's calling me into everything that I ever want so I don't have to worry about that. Ever since Jess and I and in, in this house uh, opened our wallet to flow freely, we have saved more money than we've ever had in our entire life, ever. My dream for a very long time is that I've wanted to buy a house we are closer now than we have ever been. And we've given away more than we've ever given away. Because it's not about me. It's not about, oh, Ben doesn't get a house. Everyone else has a house. Why can't I have a house? When I get into that position, I, I put a fence around the dam and I say, God, no more money is going out. And God says, that's okay. No more money can come in either. Because now you've stopped it and it's full and it's going stale. But when I open the other side and I let money flow out, it's fresh and the banks begin to break 
Because God goes, man, there's too much going out. I've got to put more in. But the point is, like Job, the point is, like Job, it's never, ever, ever about my increase. God, I don't care anymore. I don't care what it looks like. I just, it's your breath in my lungs. And God says, now you're ready. Now you're ready, my boy. Here it is. I'll bring you into more. Why? Because if I take it away, you'll still be standing there. It's your breath, God, in my lungs. And I'll pour out my praise. When we get to that position and we stop thinking about little old M.E. and we start thinking about you, God, God goes, now you're ready. I despised myself for the place that I was in. I despised myself that I was going after everything else but him. And then he says, right, here's everything else. Here it is. Jess and I have a saying in our house that is always challenging when the other person says it because you want to have a moment in your little justification where, no, let me have a good whinge and then the other person says it to you. But our saying is this, heaven sees. Heaven sees. Because we'll go home and something will have happened and we'll want to have a good whinge and say, this shouldn't have happened to me. I had to do this and stay longer or this or that. And when someone says to you, heaven sees what you've done. You get to this place where you go, ah, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't whinge. End of myself. End of myself. That's not easy. And I also get caught up in this I want justice for me. I want justice for Ben. Hashtag justice for Ben. <laughs> because that's what we want. We want to feel good. We want to, we want to be told. But God says, just come to the end of yourself. I'm seeing everything that goes on. I will vindicate you. In, um, in 2 Timothy, at the back end of 2 Timothy, somewhere around here on my Bible, at the back end, Paul talks about, um, um, what's his name? Something, someone, Brian, I think. No, it's not. Someone, the coppersmith. It's there, it's Timothy. There's like four lines down the bottom. Simon, the coppersmith. And he says, I will vindicate you, Timothy. Let God vindicate you. Stop worrying about the injustices that Simon, the coppersmith, has done to you. Don't worry about getting justice. Yes, cat. Alexander. <laughs> Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Who will repay Alexander? The Lord. Whose job is it to pay back Alexander? The Lord's. Not my job. So I get hit with a challenge. I go to my knee. God. It hurts. God, it hurts. He says, I'll get him. I will deal with him. What I want you to deal with is what I've asked you to do. Yeah, but God, I need to see him suffer for that. I need to, I need to make sure that you did him as well as he did me. No, son. I will deal with him. I will do work in him. What I want you to do it's what I asked you to do. I will deal with, you can, you can in, in your Bible, if you need to, you can replace that name. Put whoever you want there. In your prayer, put whoever you want there. Whoever it is. But stop letting that distract you from where God's taking you. Stop letting that take you away from what it is God has for you. Because that is happening all the time. It hurts. I know it hurts. And the guy next to you, he also knows it hurts because he's probably got something that's bigger than your something. But like Job, he gets to the place where he says, God, it's not about me. It's your breath in my lungs and I'll pour out my praise for you. I'm going to get on with it. I'm going to get on with it because I know like Jesus said when he stood up from the table, I know who you said I am. I know where you're sending me. I know who you are. I know where I'm coming back to. I will see you there, Lord, in that place you're taking me.
the last thing. You don't have to go here because I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it back to back out of all three of the Gospels. But there's one more story that, that, that draws this picture so well for us. And it's in Matthew 18, 1 to 6, if you're taking notes. Matthew 18, 1 to 6, Mark 9, 33 to 37, and Luke 9, 46 to 48. I know I said that really fast, but Matthew 18, 1 to 6. And the title of this is the disciples who were walking with Christ get into a bit of a bit of a tiff and a bit of an argument with each other. And the thing they get into the argument about is this. It's hilarious. It makes me so joyed to read this passage because I feel like so many of us would have been like this, even if Jesus was here. They're all walking with Jesus. They're having a phenomenal time. There's things popping out all over the place. And they sit down at wherever they were around the, around the fire or they sit down and Jesus, you know, this is just my, the way I read this story. Jesus goes off for a moment and they start going, hey, Peter, who do you reckon is the greatest of us? Which guy do you reckon is the man? Now, like, like men do, like, hey, who do you reckon is the best golfer of all of us here? Who do you reckon is the, who do you reckon is the hero? Jesus goes away for a moment. They get caught in this place. Who's the best guy? Who's, who's done the most? How many miracles have you done? Four? Six? Twelve. <laughs> Twelve for me. Twelve. Did you, see, did you see those loaves? See those loaves and the bread? Yeah, Jesus did it, but I told him we should do that. Like you can just see this dialogue that goes on between these, like Jesus is trying to explain them, you know, love one another. You know, you know it's, and they're going, who's the greatest? And I love... Like it's just, you could just imagine children doing this. The dad comes back. I will ask Jesus. He'll know. He'll tell us who's the greatest. That time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great milestone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Mark 9, 33 to 37. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. They don't tell him. Don't tell him. He's not going to like it. He's not going to like it. And they kept silent for the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but he who sent me. Luke 9, 46 to 48. An argument arose among them to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, he took a child and he put him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. For he who is last among you all is the one who is great. Jess and I don't have kids. The reason we don't have kids at the moment, from my perspective, is that it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Why? Because the child wants, 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 wants. I've watched you guys. I've watched the, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm tired. Want, 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 want. And then when you put them to bed and you go to bed, the middle of the night, guess what? I want, 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 want. Come, give me something to eat, give me something to drink. And I understand it's beautiful, they're a child, it's nice, it's lovely. I get it, it's great. But you never, ever, ever get to leave that child needing something from you. See, being a parent is the, most, is the ultimate level of sacrifice. Because if you're not feeling well and that child wants a bottle, guess what? You've got to get the child a bottle. You don't get to go, hey, I know you're crying. I know it's two o'clock in the morning, but I'm pretty tired. So if you could just stop this, I'll go back to sleep. We'll sort it out in the morning. How many parents have got to do that? None. None. Why? 
because the child needs something from you all the time. So when Jesus brings a child into the midst and he says, when you can learn how to love this child all of the time, guess what? You'll understand the kingdom. Why? Because it's the ultimate picture of sacrifice. When you're tired, they're going to need something. When you're hurting, they're going to need something. When you've had enough, they're going to need something. And Jesus is saying, when you can treat everybody else like that, when you can treat everybody else, two o'clock in the morning, I need you. And look, I know we, we, we talk about this and we say that there needs to be boundaries and, and there's a way to build into somebody. Yeah, I agree with that. There is boundaries. There is a way to not let somebody rule you and take you away from God. But there is also this place, like I said last week, where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's being beaten and he's having all kinds of insults slurred at him and he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them because they need something right now. I'm hurting, I'm tired, I'm hanging on the cross, I've had enough, but they need something right now. So give it to them. The other side of this, in the first, in, the first, in Matthew, it says that if we can't be childlike, then we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Guess what? In that level of sacrifice, we also get to be like children. We also get to be the needy, cryy baby at two o'clock in the morning. But the thing that differs is that I don't do it with the person across from me. I do it with God. God, I need something right now. I need something. Help me. Help me come through this. Help me come through this. But if you trust him like a child trusts their parent, if you trust him like a child trusts the parent, you will always come into more with him. You will always come into more. Haley doesn't get, Naya doesn't get to dictate to Haley what she gets at that time. Because Haley's the parent. She knows better. She can make a better decision for Naya than Naya can make for herself. There's no questions about that. That's how we have to be with God. God, you can make a better decision than me in this, in this situation. You know what I need. You know what I need to do. But let me tell you this, when you ask God of that, he's going to say something outrageous, like wash Judas's feet. God, did you hear me right? Matt's been a monster to me. What do I do to help him wash his feet? No, no, you mustn't have heard the words right, monster. He's been awful to me. He's hurt me. He's upset me. Wash his feet. We walk away. I'm not doing that. God goes, okay but I can't bring you into what I've got for you with that. I can't bring you into fullness. I can't bring you into restoration. I can't bring you into a double portion because you don't understand the little thing that I've asked you to do. Is this okay? Is it challenging? It's hard. Job is a hard book to read. He despised himself. He was the guy though that he despised himself because he realized I wasn't what God needed me to be. I wasn't who God asked me to be. I think I'm going to end there, but I want to just take a moment. I want to take a moment. Maybe, Louis, you can put on some pads just really lightly. Who, who believes that prayer is, is powerful? Show of hands. Okay spectacular but in that we also have to do something right so i want to pray in a moment get you to stand up and if you'd like to come to the front you can do so and i'm going to pray because i think a good lot of us right now have somebody in our heads that's is rolling around that there's this issue that we don't know how to get past it and I'm not saying that you need to go and knock on their door with a tub of water and a towel over your shoulder. But what I am saying is that we need to seek God like a child would to say, how do I fix this broken situation? Maybe it's not just with a person, but maybe there's a situation that's taking place. There's something in your life that is hurting, that is broken. And you're going, I've tried everything fix this i've tried everything to see your 
glory in this God, but nothing is working. So in this moment, I want to pray that God reveals something to you, but it doesn't finish at the end of the prayer. It does, but it doesn't. Yeah, do you want to say something? Yeah, come. It does finish at the end of the prayer that the power of it has been broken. But there's now a step that you have to take in that that allows you to stay in that place. Does that make sense? Yeah, just as um, Ben's been sharing, um, when we were in worship, I had a picture of it snowing um, in the room, and I'm from Canada, and so the idea of snow for me is not that exciting. I've had a lot of snow in my lifetime, and so I was just asking the Lord, like, what, it, what is it about snow following this room? And, um, and what was highlighted to me was the individual snowflake and how each individual snowflake is unique to itself. There is no two the same. And as Ben's been preaching this morning, I've just been kind of asking God a little bit more about that picture right there. And, and it's actually really come down to something really simple and it's actually perspective. And, and this is what I heard, what you see is what you can be. So what you see is what you can be. And sometimes we wonder how do we become something. And, um, and a simple thing came to my heart that I just want to share with you guys and even submit to you to even pray in this week or even right now as Ben wants to go into a bit of a ministry time if that's what you need. And it's to actually pray for your eyes. Pray for your eyes. The Apostle Paul was blinded by the light, but then his sight was restored with prayer. To pray for your eyes. Eyes allow you to see what heaven wants to advance in your life. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. So maybe that's something that you guys can maybe sit in this morning um, and just ask the Lord to restore your sight. Yeah, that's good. And that's what Job was saying. I heard you, God, but I didn't see you. I'd heard it, I knew it, but I didn't see you. So that's awesome. So why don't we just stand. If you want to come out the front, if you want to come and, and just as a, as a symbol of surrender, then you can do that. Why don't you just close your eyes and just while your eyes are closed, I just want you to picture whatever it is, the thing, if there's, if there's one thing, if it's a, a person or a moment, I just want you to picture that person, picture that, that thing, whatever it is. And just bring it before in that place that we, we, we spoke about this morning, that room where Jesus was, and give that thing over to him. Give that person over. Give that thing over. Jesus, 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 Jesus. God, right now we just declare your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and meet with you face to face. Jesus, I pray right now that whatever it is that's been given to you, whatever it is that's been set before you, Lord, that you begin to speak and open our eyes to see your heavenly response to the situation. I pray, Lord, your heavenly response to the resolution and the redemption of the relationship or the situation. God, we can't do this without you. We can't do our life without you. So we come now before you and we ask you humbly, give us eyes to see. Right now in the spirit realm, I pull back the veil. I pull back the veil that's blinding you. 
for those not here and for those listening online, Lord, I, in, in the spirit, I stand and I, I pull back the veil that's hazing our vision. I pull back the veil that's not allowing us to see your plans and your purposes in our life. And Jesus, we declare right now your goodness and your wholeness. And Lord, we say yes. We are willing to focus on you. We say yes, Jesus. We are willing to stand in any situation and worship you because it's your breath that's in our lungs that cries out your name. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray as we go, as we go back into our weeks, as we go back into our journeys, Father, back into the the spheres of influence that we have, Lord, that we go, Jesus, ready to battle the things that are before us, ready to be challenged and stretched the wisdom and the guidance to constantly come back to you, to constantly be giving things over to you, Jesus. Be the center in our life. Be the main thing of which we focus. God, allow us not for this to just be a moment, but for this to be a way of life tomorrow and the day after and the day after, Jesus, that we learn as a people how to lay down the pride and to pick up your humility, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we honor your beautiful, beautiful name. Amen. I hope that's helpful. If you have any questions or is there anything you want to talk through, please come and chat with me. Got this coffee at the back.